the Gym Class Zeros podcast, where the zeros are the heroes, baby. I'm fired up. I am fired up. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Gym Class Zeros podcast. We're back for another week, a really nice and special week. we got an important giveaway to talk about in just a few minutes. Before we do that, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is George. Hey, guys. Sadi here. What's going on, guys? You know, some people look forward to the weekend. That way they can go do what they got to do, things they couldn't do during the week. But I look forward to Tuesdays and Wednesdays. You know why? Because we record this podcast. If you don't know this voice by now, you're lacking. But I'll introduce myself again. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Coach, back for another episode. And, Coach, I look forward to getting longer and longer intros from you every single week. I got Brewmaster Kyle here. <laughs> no problem, Broom. no problem. It's a, it's a tough task to come in after Coach. So I would, It really is. Know, we we kind of do a disservice to Brewmaster Kyle. But you know what? At least we start every episode the same way. My favorite segment of the week, uh, it's Bland's Brew of the Week. So, Mr. Kyle Bland, what do you have brewing for us this week? Thanks, George. So, for this week, with the trade deadline recently happening on Monday, I wanted to bring a beer that has a hockey connection to it. Um, so, for any Canadian, the number 99 hits home. They know what that means. And there's only one person that comes to mind when they think of 99. That's Wayne Gretzky. So, with that being said... I want to introduce the Wayne Gretzky 99 Ride Logger this week. So without further ado, let's get this cracked open. Let's crack her open, boys. Let's give her. Oosh. Some ASMR for you guys, whoever likes and that let's kind of shit. Pour this one out. Rest in peace, Walter Gretzky. Father of more than two sons. <laughs> so, right, right off the bat, <laughs> we got, it's your typical lager. Nice and clean. Uh, you can see right through it. But on the taste, I've had this one before. So I don't need to, uh, I don't need to taste it again. But it's like a, a like a regular lager, but it's got this added sweetness to it from the rye. It really makes it uh, really makes it easy to go down. Now, now, in your opinion, Kyle, you know he he's got a line of beers. Is that your favorite? Where does that rank amongst Wayne Gretzky beers, in your opinion? So of the ones that I know of, so that would be their hazy IPA, hazy pilsner, uh, set. IPA and Pale Ale, those would be the other ones that I'm familiar with. Uh, it's not my favorite, but it's definitely up there, probably second or third. Um, I tried their Hazy Pilsner recently, and I think that would be my favorite. Um, but this one, it's a nice everyday kind of beer. As our producer knows, he's got about 1,400 of them in his fridge, so um, he's he's well-stocked for the rest of the month. I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's a uh... Kind of a, a good everyday beer. It doesn't doesn't really stand out. There's nothing that really stands out about it, but it's a nice, easy, easy drinking lager. And uh, yeah, one you can pound back at the end of a long, hard working day. He's an above average hockey player with average at best beer, uh, Kyle, uh, if that's what you're trying to say. And uh, I, I agree. So, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I definitely think his uh, his hockey was better than his his bruise. But with that being said, I'm still gonna finish it. Yeah, it's no brown cow, but I mean, I'll 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 drink it. It's pretty nice. It's a nice uh, basic lager is right where I'd feel it. But it's kind of interesting, right? Because he's uh, Gretzky's gone into a real alcohol venture post career. Right, he had the bars for a little bit. I think I don't know if there's any left as far as his bars that he had open, but he's got his wine, the whiskeys, into the beer. So he's got a whole collection there uh, of of different alcoholic beverages. And I think uh, personally, I think his 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 whiskey is probably better than this rye lager. Um, but that's apples and oranges, so maybe that's not a great comparison. Perfect. So. Mr. Bland, thank you again for another edition of Bland's Brew of the Week. Just a reminder, guys, 99 Gretzky. Uh, this week's Brew of the Week is the Rye Lager by 99 Gretzky. So uh, you can check that out, a picture of the can and the brew on our Instagram, at gymclasszeroespod. Uh, and then this week, we've got a special giveaway as well. It was just posted on Tuesday morning. If you check us out on Instagram, you got to be following, gym, at gymclasszeroespod. Comment with two of your friends. Make sure you tag them in the comment. Like the picture, and you'll be entered into winning eight of the beers that we've highlighted on Bland's Brew of the Week so far in the Gym Class Zeroes podcast. So a pretty special giveaway, our first giveaway. Uh, so we're pretty excited to give that. The winner is going to be announced next week on April 21st. And the only conditions is you must be legal drinking age. Uh, so make sure to go check that out. Like, comment, uh, and uh and follow us, and for an extra bonus entry, if you share it on your uh, story and tag Adrim Class Zero's pod, you get an extra ballot in there to win this really cool eight pack. We're gonna call it. Uh, we're not gonna. It's, this is all trademark. We're gonna call it the Gym Class Zero's Pod Brew Pack. I think that 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 works. That's perfect. Awesome, Mr. Bland. Thanks again for coming by. Thanks, guys. So moving right along to our, uh, I guess it's still new. It's a new segment. It's uh, it's a few weeks old now, uh, but we're making the rounds. I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but every week we're giving a member of our cast a chance to uh, highlight a special moment in history on this Wednesday. So this Wednesday in sports history, we're going to hand this over to Seti, and Seti's going to give us a fun little tidbit in sports history as of April 14th. Thank you very much, guys, and I think it's going to be much to all of your chagrin, but I'm going to go for it anyways. Uh, so on on this day in sports uh, history, so that would be April 14th, we're taking it back to 1960. So this was the Stanley Cup Finals, the Montreal Canadiens, beating the Toronto Maple Leafs 4-0 for a four-game series sweep, allowing them to win their record-setting fifth consecutive title uh that's never been matched uh since so uh again never pass up an opportunity to to mention the Habs so that is your little tidbit for this uh this Wednesday in sports history I find it interesting how as the league has expanded the season of course has expanded and and in 1960 the Assembly Cup is being awarded in April and now uh, in 2021 that's like the season's still going or I guess beginning of April, usually in a non-COVID season, we'd be just wrapping up the regular season. Uh, and so kind of interesting to see how much longer the seasons have gone and where things finish. Uh, so a nice little uh, nice little 
Habs tidbit from our resident Habs fan, Seti. But we're going to stay with hockey, guys. Uh, we're going to move into, I'm not sure if you know, but we had the NHL trade deadline this past Monday. Uh, and so lots of movement this year. I kind of felt good for the guys on TSN. Uh, James Duthie, good Ottawa kid. He usually hosts the uh, the Trade Center show, which is basically all day on TSN. Uh, and if there's no trades happening, they literally have nothing to talk about. And so they basically just sit there and they have to find creative ways to kill airtime. And so if, luckily for those guys, Sunday was pretty busy. So they had a lot of stuff to start off with on Monday morning. Uh, and then it was a pretty steady stream of some some pretty good trades. And so uh, I don't think the content was hurting too much for these guys. So starting off with the trade that saw Nick Foligno join the Toronto Maple Leafs. So this was an interesting one here. So the Blue Jackets received a 2021 first rounder as well as 2022 fourth rounder and also retained 25% of Foligno's contract who expires this summer. Then the San Jose Sharks, which were kind of, this is, this is basically a, four t- a three-team trade, uh, but like the Sharks were kind of more of a quiet piece in this, but they were very crucial in it because they ended up enabling the trade because they sent forward Steve, Stefan Neeson to Columbus for fourth round pick and they retain a percentage of Felino's cap hit. So the Leafs are only on the hook for only for 25% of Felino's salary this year for the rest of the year. Uh, and so all that because basically 50% is staying with the Blue Jackets and another 25% uh, with the Sharks. Or sorry, the other way around. 25% with the Sharks and 50%. Or 25% with the Jackets and 25% or 50% with the Sharks. So uh, kind of an interesting trade there. Um, were you guys surprised with the price tag on Felino? Um, I mean, considering the fact that there were three teams involved, I think it's not that surprising. Especially when you see three teams involved in trade, you probably see more moving around than you'd usually see it within a two-team trade. So... I think that being considered, I'm not too surprised. Uh, it wasn't like there was huge returns uh, for the other teams involved, uh, that not being the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I don't think it was that high of a price to pay. And I think it's a very key pickup for for the Maple Leafs. Uh, I kind of mentioned it last week that Foligno was maybe a dark, a dark horse to watch for being moved at the deadline. And I think... Uh, him being added to the Leafs uh, will make them a very strong contender and adds a lot of depth for a player who can basically play uh, all three four positions. Yeah, I remember texting Seti uh, the night that that trade was announced, and you hit it—you hit the nail on the head right there, right? You called Felino. I, I think it was pretty interesting to see the guys that went, and uh, full credit to that. You nailed Felino really on that one. I mean, you look at the trade as like a summary. So Toronto gets Stefan Neeson, who was at one point considered a top prospect in the Sens organization, uh, never really panned out. And they also get Felino, but then they give up a 2021 first rounder that they're giving to Columbus, a 2022 fourth rounder that they're giving to Columbus, and then a 2021 fourth rounder that they're giving to San Jose. So they're basically giving up three picks to pick up Felino and Nissan, and out of those three picks, there's a first rounder. Uh, albeit with the Leafs and where they expect themselves to be this year, that 2021 first rounder should be more in the the higher uh, end, kind of a late pick in the first, but still a first round pick. So um, I think that's a pretty good package for a guy with with the pedigree and the experience that Felino does. I think he brings kind of that that instant credibility uh, once he jumps into that lineup. And as you said, said he can play all three forward positions. And so that's uh, never a bad thing to have in your roster going into playoff time, injuries down the stretch. He can kind of cover wherever. So it's a pretty good deal for, for Toronto, in my opinion. 
so with that, guys, uh, before we jump on to the other trades, I have a, a fun trivia for you guys. So can you name a player who has played with both Nick Foligno and his father, Mike? I don't know. That's a tough one, uh, especially considering that they played basically three decades. There's a three-decade, almost three-decade uh, difference between when the two played. So uh, that's a tough I'll one. You, I'll give you a hint. There's an Ottawa connection there somehow. An Ottawa connection. Boy. I'm going to go... Ah, uh, shoot. Coach, step in here. Wait, so this guy, what? He played with the father and he played with Nick? Yeah, correct. Who could it be? The father played in the 80s? Probably 90s. Uh, uh, he, like, 80s and Yeah, so it would have been... Yeah, it would have been 80s, 90s. Hmm, so who could he have played with? There's an Ottawa connection. Ooh, I don't know. I'm going to take a wild guess, and I'm going to go with, I don't know. I I really, I'm stumped. Maybe Chris Phillips? No. I'm going to go So Dominic Hasek. So the answer is actually Luke Richardson. So Luke Richardson played with Toronto in from basically, uh, what was the year that Richardson played? So he played with Toronto from 87 to 91 and Mike Foligno towards the end of his his career played with Toronto from 90 to 94 and of course Richardson played with uh, Foligno in Ottawa with uh, Nick Foligno so that's your fun little trivia where Luke Richardson actually played with the father and the son uh, quite far apart from each other but uh, he did it so that tells you I guess he kind of comes in right in the middle Uncle Luke so moving on to some more hockey news here. Uh, we're talking trades. We're looking at uh, some other trades that happened over the course of the NHL trade deadline. Uh, most notably, you're looking at Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar moving to Boston for Andrews Bjork and a second rounder. Anthony Manta to Washington for Jacob Vrana, Richard Panic, 2021 first rounder, 2022 second rounder. Uh, and then Sens traded three defensemen at the deadline. Riley, Mike Riley to Boston, Braden Coburn to the Islanders, Eric Goodbranson to Nashville. Uh, so first off, I want to get you guys' opinion on on the Mantha deal to Washington. That's a pretty big piece uh, to move. Uh, I look at what Washington gave up for Anthony Mantha. Uh, you got a guy like Vrana Panic, uh, and then the first rounder, most notably, and then the second rounder. So I think that's a big price to pay for a guy like Anthony Mantha. I think you know what you have in Mantha, which is, I think, what Washington was really happy to lay back on. But that's a, that's a pretty big price to pay, uh, especially that first second rounder, and then those two guys that can jump. Like that's a that's a lot. Yeah, I think uh, I actually think that kind of both teams uh, kind of come out winners in this trade. I know Washington uh, kind of gave up a lot to get Mantha in return, uh, but kind of looking at the stats, uh, they're kind of pretty much on par in terms of points per game average. Mantha kind of. Slightly edging out Verana, uh, but who's actually Verana is actually more efficient in terms of points per minutes played, which is kind of an interesting little difference uh, between the two. But what kind of makes them both winners in their own sense is I think uh, they're both kind of accomplishing what they need, right? So Washington's more of an a win now situation. A lot of their core group is on the on the bad side of 30. They're kind of an they have an aging veteran group with Ovechkin uh, Backstrom. So I think Mantha is a pretty good pickup for them in terms of their aspirations of maybe winning a cup. 
this year and the next couple of years, whereas Detroit, on the other hand, are more looking to rebuild. So they're picking up uh, more bodies, uh, some young bodies there. So I think overall, both teams kind of got what they were looking for. Uh, I think what will be key for Washington in terms of getting Mantha uh, out of the Verona trade is he's a much bigger body. He's much better defensively, and that will be great for them come playoff time because we all know that come playoffs, the game gets uh, a lot tougher, a lot rougher, and uh, you see a lot of things kind of sliding under the radar in terms of uh, maybe cheap shots when it comes to the officiating. So I think uh, overall both teams come out winning in this in this situation. I think Steve Eiserman just kind of fleeced the Washington Capitals. I mean, he gave up one guy to get two guys that are going to play every night in your lineup. And as you said, you know, it's a slow build there. But then to get a first-round pick and to get a second-round pick, I mean, well done by Steve Eiserman. I mean, I know he first got hired a couple years ago to the GM for, was for the Lightning, and I honestly didn't think he would do well as a GM. He built the core of that team that actually ended up ended up Stanley Cup champions. So I got to give him props. So I, I, I think he's just going to, you know, he's going to eat the shit now with the wings, and then in a couple years I think they'll be half decent. So... I mean, like to go out and get those picks was impressive, and and I think uh, and I think Eisenman definitely flees the Capitals. But I mean, what are you going to do? What's done is done at this point. Yeah, I, I think you look at Eisenman, what he's been able to do. Like you mentioned, what he did in in Tampa, and now what he's building in in Detroit. I have him up there as one of the top gems in the league. I think the guy is a great judge of talent. I think he. He encloses himself with some great pro scouting and amateur scouting as well. And so he puts the right people in the right positions. But, I mean, look at this deal. To me, Mantha and Vrana are basically very, very similar players as far as what they can produce. And so if you're doing a one-for-one there, then Detroit's just also picking up Panic and then a first-rounder and a second-rounder. So that's just a a very lopsided deal on my part. And so good for Steve Eisenman and Detroit Red Wings. I think they're building something really, really good there. Uh, too bad they're in the East uh, Eastern Conference and they're going to have to play Ottawa many times. Uh, what about the rest of the trades, guys? Like, I mean, I touched on, you know, the, the, the Sens moving some defensemen, but any other trade that, that kind of stood out to you guys that uh, you think will, will play well for one team or another in the long term? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a few trades that, I, that I'd like to talk about. I think, I think the one that we kind of skipped over real quick was, was, was Hall, Hall going to Boston. Um, you know, we had spoken in the past about where we thought he would end up, and and I'm not sure who said he would end up on the Bruins, but whoever did, well done. I think, you know, he's going to go there. He doesn't have to be the main guy. He's not going to be the main guy. I mean, if you look at the roster they have there, David Pasternak, Bergeron, you got, you know, Brad Marchand, David Krejci. Like, he's not going to play, he's not going to play on... On the top line, he might be, you know, your second line guy, your third line guy. I think he'll do well with the Bruins. Um, you know, he won't have all the all the attention on him, all the spotlight on him. Uh, so I think I think he'll do well. I think the Bruins were really strong to begin with. Now to add him kind of brings them over the top a little bit. You know, the East we talk about the Leafs and and how how strong they are, but you know you got to acknowledge the Bruins. Seems like every year they. They find a way to make the playoffs, and they just and they push and they fight, and this is a nice addition. Mm-hmm. The other trade I wanted to talk about, well, I shouldn't say the trade, but the team that I think did really well was the Florida Panthers. 
they were looking to add a D-man. They went out and got Brandon, uh, oh, what's his name? Help me out here, Montour. guys. Montour. Brandon, Brandon Montour. Montour. Thank you, Seti. Didn't cost him much. Uh, they plugged that hole that they needed uh, because of Aaron Eckblad's injury. So I think they did well there. And then they made a trade with the Flames. They went out and got Sam Bennett, which is a guy who was looking for uh, looking for a uh, change. Um, and I think uh, having him there will add that extra, extra grit, extra depth. Again, that's another team that I didn't think would make the playoffs this year, but here they are. So I think I think it'll help them down the line. Um, so yeah, otherwise, uh, the Avalanche uh, acquiring uh, a goalie from the Sharks, Devin Dubnik. Uh, I think they needed that just because of the inconsistency that they had in net. It's, it's nice to have some experience in between the pipes. So yeah, otherwise, between the Panthers and the Avalanche, otherwise, everybody else was, meh, whatever. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, you stole Florida out from under me. That's who I was going to go with. I was going to say uh, the pickups of the combined trades of Sam Bennett and Brandon Montour was, I think, was uh, very nice additions for them. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into detail because Coach already did, but just Sam Bennett being a, a good overall two two way forward, uh, so solid offensively and defensively. And again, Brandon Montour maybe not filling the gap that Ekblad left, but uh, certainly certainly will help fill that void for them. Uh, and then maybe, I mean, obviously you guys are probably tired of it at this point, but uh, one GM in the league who never ceased to make a splash of the deadline, uh, that being Bergevin, sometimes it, it uh, turns out well for him, sometimes not so much, but I think the additions of John Merrill and Eric Gustafson, so two pretty solid defensemen that he picked up at the deadline, um, will just bolster their, their defensive lineup. Um, they they put Victor Mete on, on waivers, unfortunately. He didn't really pan out for them. He was picked up by the Sens, of course. They're always looking for sloppy seconds. But uh, And then also the addition of Eric Stahl to the lineup, I think. This kind of puts them in a, a good position. They're already in a, a playoff slot being in the top four of the North Division. But I think this will just uh, help strengthen, strengthen them and... Uh, Again, bigger bodies, uh, helping them contend with uh, kind of the mix, uh, the mashup of of the Western teams in the division. So uh, those are a couple pickups that I really like, and hopefully they'll pan out for the Habs. Really quickly about Mark Bergeron, uh, I'm not sure if you guys saw the commercial that ran last week on uh, on the French uh, media side. Uh, he's basically doing a Weber commercial for like the barbecue Weber. And then he closes the lid of the barbecue and he looks in the camera and French says, I always knew Weber was the right move. And uh, just some classic, some classic uh, punny, punny stuff come out of Montreal. And I love it. I live for it. You guys can check out our social media on Twitter at Gym Class Zero's pod with a zero. We're going to repost that video just so you guys can check it out. Real good stuff. J'ai toujours su que Weber était le bon choix. Uh, me personally, uh, as far as the deals, I, I think Taylor Hall is going to fly under the radar here. I think it was a pretty, I, th- I think Boston did pray, pay a pretty good price there. Basically a second rounder for Taylor Hall for, for half a season. Uh, but I think he was really dragged down by a bad Buffalo team uh, over the course of the first half of the season. I think you put him there, you you kind of insulate him with some good good talent. Uh, I think Taylor Hall can can score some goals, especially down the stretch in the playoffs. I think that's going to be a good move for the Bruins. Uh, they just kind of seem to always be competitive, and so uh, another impressive move for me. I think I think Taylor Hall's pans out for them. I don't think that's deep. That's 
that's you know a steep cost. I mean, if you look at the Leafs, they just gave yeah. up a first. They just gave up yeah. a first f- for a guy that's a lot older, doesn't have as much skill. Uh, his his deal is done at the end of the year, so they paid they paid a, a good amount. So I I think the Bruins I think I think if you're saying that they paid a lot, I think is a little bit out of whack. But no, not paid a lot. I, I think that's a good price to pay. Okay, yeah. I think yeah, that's, that's a fair. A second, a second rounder for a guy of his talent. I don't think you're overpaying for that by any means. And and if he chooses to sign an extension because he he said he's open to signing, you know, uh, an extension with the team that he goes to, uh, I think the Bruins. I think the Bruins are just going to laugh at this point. Their second well, round pick, who you know, who gives a fuck really? I don't think he's saying no to any kind of long term extension. I, I don't think he got what he wanted last off season. He hit the open market. I think he took a chance when he went to Buffalo on a one year deal. Uh, and I don't think that chance that 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 really that risk didn't pay off, right? Now there's still half another, another half a season plus playoffs for him to show what he can do, uh, but I don't think teams were busting down Taylor Hall's door to offer multi-year deals, and that's why he went to Buffalo on a one-year deal and kind of hoped for a pretty productive season playing with guys like Jeff Skinner and and, uh, and Jack Eichel, uh, and it didn't really work out. So yeah, absolutely. I think if Boston comes to him with anything longer than two or three years, he's signing. No questions just- asked. That's just it, right? You kind of just uh, mentioned it there. Is the the fact of uh, the way he's played over the last couple of seasons? There might not be that big of a market for for Hall, even though he's kind of a, a household name. And the fact that he kind of gets the opportunity to prove himself in a in a town like Boston, where they have a very solid and deep lineup, if he's able to to prove his worth, and um, if he's able to get a a decent deal from Boston, I think uh, both both he and the team will be very happy with that. Yeah, I think this is crunch time for him. There's no more excuses, right? You see what he did in Edmonton. There's always a question of, you know, not talent around him. If not, you know, goes to Buffalo, same thing, just a bad team. Uh, and then also in New Jersey, right? So I think now is the chance. You got you got the right tools around you to produce. And if you're ever going to produce, it's going to be now. Uh, and so enough, no more excuses for Taylor Hall. He's got to produce here or else this is going to really mark his reputation and his career. So some good hockey talk. It'll be interesting. We're going to touch a little bit on hockey at the end in our better of the week, but um, just some some really interesting stuff. A lot of movement going around, which is always nice to see around the trade deadline uh, window. So that's really good stuff. Uh, let's move over to some golf, though. Uh, of course, we've got the Masters Championship that just wrapped up on Sunday night. Hideki Matsuyama has been crowned the 2021 Masters Champion. Uh, the 29-year-old excuse me, won the 85th edition of the Masters on Sunday afternoon, and he becomes the first Asian player uh, to don a green jacket and the only Japanese male to win a major golf tournament. So making some really big history there is Hideki Matsuyama. Neither of us uh, had him picked as our winner. Um, and so a, a nice surprising win. He came into Sunday as the leader, and he hung on, he hung in there. Probably one of the biggest pressure moments. You, you kind of go into Saturday night. If you got the lead going into the fourth round of the Masters at Augusta, uh, I, I doubt he slept much on Saturday night, but he delivered on Sunday, uh, and he's the champ. So so good for Hideki Matsuyama. Yeah, not only did we not have him picked uh, to win, none of our picks even made the cut going into Saturday. So That's true. We were, all, we were all way off there. Some, yeah. some elite talent didn't make the cut. I gotta stop placing fucking bets here, guys. I, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't win. I couldn't win if my life was on the line. I mean, I pick Oklahoma State. Shit. I pick. I pick DJ. 
shit like thanks for coming like hang up your green jacket on the way out you don't even deserve to keep it from last year it was like a lease he was like he leased a green jacket yeah but yeah no uh i mean impressive impressive by hideki matsuyama shout out hideki matsui new york yankees legend um but i mean i saw his name jump up on the leaderboard and i was like who the fuck is this guy but i mean he just he came to play and he had the lead and he he did not let go so props to him i i think it's a one-time fluke kind of thing i just think he had the round of his life and that'll be it but uh i've been wrong i've been wrong before and i'll probably continue to be wrong so well done yeah well done yeah we saw him uh watching him on saturday he was kind of hovering around the top five uh spot and i don't i can't remember exactly on which hole but he hit a huge uh he had one hole where he he got a, an eagle and that just kind of projected him straight into first and he never looked back uh was also was interesting was the fact that uh he actually won the the masters almost a decade to the day so a, a decade plus 24 hours from the day that he won the actually the masters as an amateur so he had to wait 10 years to, to win it between winning it as an amateur and winning it as a pro which is uh pretty crazy when you think about it uh but also just you know the fact that he is not really a household name probably not as experienced as other players that were contending on sunday and just the fact that he was able to keep the composure throughout that whole last round and never really stumbled uh maybe looked like he might on on the 18th where he he should uh he hit a shot into uh the sandpit but uh Again, showed composure, knocked it right onto the green, and uh, won the green jacket. So kudos to him. Really interesting piece I saw on Twitter as well. Uh, a picture that was snapped of him on Sunday night, sitting in the middle of a lobby of the airport in uh, in Georgia, in Atlanta, in Augusta, Georgia, and he's got the green jacket draped over the bench, and he's just sitting there with his luggage on the floor on his phone, uh, and that's the 2021 green jacket winner. Uh, who's probably the last time he's going to sit in the middle of a an airport lobby and not be recognized. Uh, so it's so good for him. Uh, a little bit of a negative, I guess, when it comes to Masters golf from the weekend. Xander Shoffley double bogeyed on hole 16 on Sunday. So that pushed him back from second place to third. And that cost him $575,000, that one shot. Uh, so he went home with $667,000 which is really not a bad day. So nobody's feeling bad for him. Uh, that's pretty good for four days of work. Uh, but he could have went home with $1.24 million in winnings. So that one shot costs him over half a million dollars. That's got to hurt. That definitely hurts. That hurts the pocket. That hurts the ego. I mean, put the money aside. If you're, you know, you're in contention to win the green jacket, you get to one of the last holes and you double bogey. Like, where's your head? Like, where's your head at? Like, what are you thinking about to be like, okay, I'm so close, but he just, he let it slip, you know? Golf is, a lot of it's about about the mental. So, I mean, Xander Shoffley, you fucked up. I mean, you still left with a nice purse, but it could have been twice as large if you weren't such an idiot. So, not only do, does he go from being in second spot, only one or two strokes back from from winning it, to then dropping into third uh, within minutes and not only that but also losing you know half a million in the process that's really got to hurt and uh, it also just shows uh, kind of what Matsuyama was able to do in terms of 
keeping his composure uh, when, you know, we can see that it's easier to crumble under the pressure of not only the the green jacket, but of winning, you know, 1.24 or 1.24 or the $2 million that the, the winner gets. So uh, unfortunate, unfortunate for him. Yeah, I mean, on average, you shoot probably close to 280 golf shots in the four rounds at Augusta. And uh, and for two shots to cost you the difference between two and, and, and second and third place really shows how every shot in golf matters and how big it does when you put a price tag on it. So I thought that was a pretty interesting piece on, on the amount of money that these guys take and then the difference between something like second and third place. Uh, but, but he double bogeyed on 16. Uh, and so he got leapfrogged by Will Zalatoris, who came second. He shot a nine under for the for the weekend or for the whole week, I guess, for the, all four rounds. Uh, and he's a rookie. So pretty impressive outing for the rookie. He played below par golf the entire tournament. Yeah, I, I was extremely impressed with him. I was watching on I was watching over the weekend and uh, he came up to shoot and I was like, who's this kid? Like, who did they let who did they let play? Like, you know, I thought this was adults only. And then, uh, you know, Bio came up, said he was 24 years old. Honestly, I wouldn't have given him more than maybe 14 years old. But age aside, uh, he he played he played a hell of a a hell of a round. Actually, every round was impressive, as you said, George. He was he was under par the entire tournament. So uh, I'm gonna keep an eye open out for I'm gonna keep an eye out open for Will Zalatoris. That was probably like my most like impressed player of the weekend. Yeah, he certainly physically looked like a rookie, uh, looking so young, but definitely didn't play like one. Very impressive what he was able to pull off this weekend. And, uh, you know, not only is going home with $1.24 million uh, a nice touch, but also just a confidence boost uh, going into the the PGA uh, season. Yeah, I always say I think the Masters is one of the biggest tournaments of the year, especially when it comes to a, a major championship. And I think that's such a daunting golf course too, Augusta and everything. So always always nerve-wracking, I think, for anybody, let alone a rookie. So so cheers to him. Uh, let's jump into a little bit of soccer, you guys, uh, real quick. I mean, we, we look at the, the semifinals of the Champions League right now wrapping up. We had two games today on April 13th, and then the other two uh, second legs of the semifinal matches uh, tomorrow on April 14th. Uh, which is the day that this is coming out. Uh, and so I wanted to really touch on, you know, like the, I think the biggest shocker so far for me has that the champs been defeated, right? So Bayern Munich falls to PSG on aggregate due to the away goals. It's that uh, technicality tiebreaker that we spoke about a few episodes ago. And they're moving on to the Champions League semifinal. Uh, but then the big piece here for me is Chelsea. I think they're moving on, they're, they're moving on after de- defeating FC Porto by a score of 2-1 on aggregate. Uh, but to me, the biggest surprise is just as a whole how they've been able to do all season. I think you look at really, they've been a, a completely different club since Thomas Tuchel replaced Frank Lampard at the end of January. They're one point away from fourth place in the Premier League right now, and that's ultimately to qualify for next year's Champions League. And now they're moving on to the Champions League semifinal. So when was the last time you guys saw a coaching change that made such a difference in sports? Like, I mean, it, it's really been night and day for Chelsea. As a fan of the Blues, resident Blues fan here, guys, uh, I couldn't be happier. At the beginning of the year, we had Lampard. We couldn't win. Like we couldn't score if if the net was the size of, oh, I don't know, as as big as you want it to be. We get rid of him. 
bringing we're bringing our guy Thomas Tuchel, and we've been on fire ever since. I mean, I, I'm super impressed, and I'm super happy. Made it to the Champions League semifinals, as you said, we're sniffing fourth place, so I think we'll be back in it, in it for next year. Um, and uh, I've been able to watch a couple of their games, and I'm super, super happy, super pumped. I don't know who who we're gonna be uh, be playing in the semifinals, but I don't care who it is. I definitely think we can make it through to the finals. So let's go Blues. Said, so remind me, who's your soccer team? Uh, I mean, it's Juventus. Unfortunately, they were knocked out uh, by aggregate in the round of 16. Uh, I don't really have a, a team that I really cheer for in, in the EPL. Uh, I kind of just watch it as a as a soccer fan as a whole. So, I mean, I just like seeing the more competition, the better for me, especially in the EPL. I usually see kind of one team dominate. So seeing the, the Blues kind of storm back... Uh, as you say, it's kind of rare to see a coach step in mid-season and just flip things around. Uh, you kind of threw that question out and kind of reminds me of, uh, I forget what year it was, but the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, back in the day when they fired their coach not not far, or I guess maybe a little further than midway through the season, hired, uh, I think it's Sullivan as a coach, and then ended up winning the Cup. Uh, I don't think that the Blues will... will or even have enough games in hand to make that comeback and win the the championship. But uh, it's definitely nice to see them back being contenders. You're used to seeing them at the top of the table or competing. So it's always good to see them storm back and uh, do well. Actually, and, and, and another team, this happened in 2019, the St. Louis Blues. Head coach Mike Yo got fired. They brought in a new guy, and they won the cup that year. I mean, all it takes is... A new coach, a new way to look at things, and and I think it really let you know anything that you could change will kind of spark a fire in the players' assholes, and and I think that really ended up making a difference. And the Blues ended up winning the cup that year, so it's definitely possible. It's definitely possible. I guess there is a reason why the coach is always the first to get fired. Perfect stuff, guys. And I think Seti, you're talking about when Mike uh, Sullivan replaced Mike Johnston in 2015, going into the the playoffs there, for that, the yeah, Penguins. That must be it. Mike Johnson didn't last too long. I think he replaced Dan Bilesma in 2014, and then he was out in 2015, so he really lasted a bit over, I think, maybe almost a year. Now we're going to jump into our our, our really fun Would You Rather segment of the show. Uh, if you guys didn't, didn't catch last week's episode, we've got this new segment where we basically throw out hypothetical Would You Rathers to the crew and, and see what everyone would rather. So it's usually a, one either... Or the other, one or the other. Uh, and then we, of course, always are going to post it on our Twitter and Instagram for you guys all to vote. Uh, and so um, before we look at this week's two options, I'm just going to run everybody through last week's and, and who the people, who are who our viewers and our followers on Instagram voted for on the Would You Rathers. So we look at the first one, which was, uh, would you rather fight Conor McGregor in a boxing match or Floyd Mayweather in a UFC match? 62% of the people took Floyd in a UFC match. So not many people, only 38% are looking to take on Connor in a boxing match. Uh, and then the other part was, would you rather cheer for the team you hate or never watch that sport again? 80% of viewers uh, would actually cheer for the bad guy. Uh, so we got some sports diehards uh, that can never give up the sport. 
that moves over to this week's two segments and we're gonna we're gonna ask uh, brewmaster kyle to jump back in with us here and take part in this segment uh so f- first question to you guys and we'll start with you coach uh would you rather block a shea weber slap shot or get hit by a hundred mile per hour roll this chapman fastball uh, um i'll take the slap shot in the event that it hits me in a place where there's padding uh baseball players don't wear padding uh hockey players have shin pads elbow pads knee pads all the pads you could think of so i think i'd rather take my chance and block a slap shot than stand at the plate and get just dinged by a hundred mile an hour fastball from Meraldis Chapman. I mean, he throws hard, he throws fast, and I've seen him hit a couple guys, and it took him a while to get back up. So I'm gonna go slap shot. Uh, let's go to Brewmaster Kyle. Brewmaster Kyle, let me hear what you gotta say. And he's not there. All right. Well, let's skip over to Brewmaster Kyle because he's not there. What do you think, Seti? Um, I mean, kind of. I think the smarter answer would probably pick Shea Weber's slap shot just because you do have a higher higher odds of getting hit in somewhere you are protected. But I'm going to switch things up here, and I'm going to go uh, hit by a, a pitch from Araldis Chapman. In the, I don't know, slim chance that I'm able to get up after that, uh, I would just take the opportunity to start a bench-clearing brawl and... Uh, Stir, stir shit up a little bit. Uh, obviously, no one's going to throw a punch because it's baseball, but just get ev- get everyone's blood boiling and start a uh, a brawl where no one throws a punch. I'll take that any day. George, what do you think? I'm definitely not dropping the shoulder and taking a, a, a Chapman fastball. Uh, I'm also going to side with Coach and take a chance that it's going to hit me somewhere where I'm padded a little bit. Hopefully, it doesn't get me in like the back or something or the back of the leg. Uh, so I'm going to take the Shea Weber slap shot. Look at Kyle blaming his Wi-Fi. Kyle, it's okay. We know you fell asleep. It's all right. But what do you think? Would you rather take a slap shot or would you rather get hit by a ball, a fastball? Personally, uh, oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going fastball just because of the of the density of the object. With pucks, that vulcanized rubber, I think that would do some real damage. Physics, baby. Kyle, is there one day you can't talk about that? Every day you talk about physics. Every day. Sorry. This physics, that physics. Fuck off. Fuck off. Bring in in the science into this. Ask a a man for his opinion and then just shut him down right away. Honestly. I guess that's what took took Kyle so long to answer. He was checking the, the density of the two objects. I was, I was or he was cooking. Or he was cooking hot dogs. He was cooking hot dogs. <laughs> Leave it to the uh, listeners' imagination. <laughs> Next question for you guys, and this one we'll start with uh, Mr. Bland since we've got him now. Before he goes and checks on his hot dogs, don't go anywhere, Kyle. Don't go do your physics homework. Stick around, please. <laughs> Would you rather try to hit a Clayton Kershaw curveball, or try to tackle Marshawn Lynch? Uh, you know, you guys know me, and you know my uh my physique i'm not a big guy <laughs> so i'm gonna go with the uh the first one the curveball so i don't think i could stand a chance against marshawn lynch i'm gonna go uh i'm gonna go against that i'm gonna say i'm gonna try to tackle marshawn lynch just in the hopes that in the process i'll i'll uh nudge a couple skittles loose and get a nice little snack uh, uh in the process i'm thankful for the opportunity to have skittles asking me questions today I got to go Lynch, guys, because he's, he's a bigger body. I'm also a bigger body, but he's also, you know, a bigger body. So 
me trying to hit a small ball with a bat, I mean, you guys have seen me play softball. I, I mean, there's no chance. If I can't hit a ball that flies up and down in the air at 10 miles an hour, you really want me to hit a ball that's coming in at 100? No chance. If I could grab on onto Lynch's knees or his legs or anything, there's a chance I could take him down. But no way am I hitting am, am I hitting a hundred mile an hour ball. And it's not only that; it's coming from the best pitcher in baseball, Clayton Kershaw. So no thanks, no fucking chance. The baseball player in me is gonna go with the the curveball for a couple of reasons. So one, uh, I think Marshawn Lynch trying to tackle that would be like hitting a brick wall, and so I'm not even gonna try. Um, to me, having the chance to stand in the, the batter's box against a guy like Clayton Kershaw would be an honor. So I would love that chance. And, and you know what? It's not like he's blowing 105 by me where I can't catch up. Uh, if I know a curveball is coming and I can sit back on it, um, I'm going to take my chance with that. And, and, uh, worst case, he can blow three by me and then I can say that I faced Clayton Kershaw. So I'm going with that one. Another reason to pick Lynch is, uh... You don't even have to try to tackle him. Just stand there, and all you have to say is, I'm here so I don't get fined. Perfect. And this leads us to our last segment of the week here, guys, our bet of the week. Uh, So now that the NHL trade deadline has passed, uh, and we kind of see what every team is going into the rest of the season and into the playoffs with roster-wise, pending that they stay healthy, uh, we've got some updated odds for the Stanley Cup winners. So we're looking here, if you got a bet, outright Stanley Cup winner who you going with. So I'll run you guys through the top five odds right now, which is the Colorado Avalanche. Shout out to producer Segs. They're coming in at 15.9% odds of winning the Cup. Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, unfortunately, at 12.2. They've got the second best odds. The Carolina Hurricanes at 10%. The Vegas Golden Knights at 9.3%. And then in fifth place, uh, J.G. Pajot and the New York Islanders at 8.5%. Uh, so, Seti, we'll start with you, buddy. Who are you taking? Uh, it doesn't have to be either of those five. You can go off the board. You can say the Habs, uh, but their odds are probably like 3%. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stick uh, and pick a team on the, on the board here. I think even though they weren't able to secure Taylor Hall, as I predicted last episode, I still like the New York Islanders' odds of winning it. They've got a pretty solid team offensively and defensively, and... I'll pick a, a Barry Trotz led coat uh, led team any day of the week uh, to win the cup. So that's my pick. That's a good pick there, but you know what? I'm going to go with the Colorado Avalanche. I, I mean, I think it's their cup to lose. I mean, they're they're stacked from top to bottom. They had an issue with the goaltending. They addressed that. They you know they're solid. I think I said the Avalanche at the beginning of the year, and, and I'm and I'm going to stick to it. You you can't really can't really say otherwise to make me change uh, change anything I have to say in my opinion. And I want to stay in uh, in the producers' good books too. So. And 29 will deliver from the top of the circle a long range bomb. Go Avs, go. Uh, I think I'm going to stick with the team I went with at the beginning of the year as well. Uh, I'm going to stick with Vegas, uh, 9.3%. Those odds aren't going to pay the least, but they're not going to pay the most. But I think to me, when I look at that roster, I think they've done such a great job since their inception into the league. Uh, And I think they're still a solid team from top to Florida. They got the goaltending. They got the defense. They can score. uh, And they've got my favorite player in the NHL and Mark Stone. Uh, leading that team in Vegas. So I'm going Vegas Golden Knights, 9.3%, but soon it'll be 100%. Uh, 
And uh, so before we, we wrap up this episode, we're going to do what we do every week, and we're just going to do a quick roundtable. Uh, let us know what's on your mind. Last words before we log off here. Guys, Coach, what you got? Not too much. I just don't want to hear you talk about another fucking documentary. That's it. That's it. No, no, no F1. I don't want an update. I don't, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. That's but, too bad. But we're looking to book a tea time soon, so I'm pretty pumped up about that. Uh, especially after watching the Masters, but uh, yeah, otherwise, uh, not too much. Just trying to get by with this whole COVID bullshit. So, what about you, Seti? I've been really, even though they uh, they've been slumping as of late, I've been really enjoying watching the the Raptors play uh, last couple games. Uh, their new addition of Gary Trent Jr. He's been lighting it up uh, since he landed in Toronto, and I've just I'm just Looking forward to keep watching him over the next week and see if he can keep the hot, the hot train rolling. Surprised nobody did a shout out to DMX. Rest in peace. I was going to do it at the end. So you good. fucking, you ruined it. Well, I, you was, had I, was gonna, I, I was going to rap the whole song. I was going to rap one of his whole songs. Uh, well, go ahead. Floor is yours. Floor is yours. Stop. Drop. Shut him down. Open up shop. Whoa. Whoa. That's a rough rider's roll. Rest in peace, DMX. Real talk, one of my favorite rappers growing up. So, rest in peace. That's it. And that's a wrap on our latest episode of the Gym Class Zeroes podcast. Just remember, guys, you can check us out on Twitter, at Gym Class Zeroes Pod. You can check us out on Instagram, at Gym Class Zeroes Pod. Make sure you join the giveaway for eight of uh, Bland's special brew of the week. Uh, you got to like, follow, Comment to your friends and for an extra bonus entry, share it to your story and tag us at Gym Class Zero's pod. I think for me, before I let you guys go, uh, jumping into another fun, exciting weekend of doing nothing. And so uh, looking forward to watching my first live Formula One race. The Italian Grand Prix is coming up on Sunday. I know all the racers now. I finished the documentary. Hope you guys check it out. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening for another, on another episode of the Gym Class Heroes podcast. If you're listening in the morning, afternoon, or evening, wish you a good morning, good day, good evening. Thanks a lot, guys. Don't watch the Italian Grand Prix. I'm fired up. I am fired up. Can win if my life was on the line. You know, I thought this was adult only. You fucked up. Bark a fire in the players' assholes and... I would just take the opportunity to start a bench player and brawl.